Gracious God, as we gather here and at home and as we think about this last love language, this quality time that you want to spend with us, engage us, convict us, challenge us, guide us, help us to know what it means to have a strong relationship with you, a personal relationship with you and with each other. This true togetherness that can only come with you. If that's lacking in our lives, Lord, right now, open us up to hear the words we need to hear. If it's not strong enough right now, Lord, open us up to that place to make it stronger. And if it is strong, Lord, continue to pour into us. And may one of these words, or all of these words, speak to us today in a way we need to hear the most. We ask this and we offer ourselves as living vessels to receive your word this morning. And the people of God both here and the people of God at home said together, Amen. Offer you to follow along with you version and be able to follow along with the sermon and all the notes. If you ever miss one, these are all saved. If you don't save it on your phone, you don't have access to them, but they're all there. We can get to any of them that you want. All you have to do is tell me which week it was, and I'm able to go there and send you the link right to it to be able to look at it. In 2009, America was hit with a sudden panic. The panic was due to an outbreak of a rarely heard illness called H1N1. Do you know what else it was called? The swine flu. This goes way back. This is like this is like, you know, kindergarten compared to what we've been through. Maybe you don't remember it. For many in the world, this season of life was characterized by deep concern, isolation, unusual precautions. Suddenly in movie theaters and restaurants and airports and shopping malls, waterless soap dispensers sprang up. Not hand sanitizer. Waterless soap dispensers. Signs in each and every bathroom in America urged the public to wash hands vigorously. I remember none of this. The lucky few who could get a swine flu vaccine rushed to do so. Now, remember that, because that was the vaccine we got. It was a nasal vaccine, right? So no shots, right? I'm all into that. Nasal vaccines, yeah, hallelujah, Connie, right? No shots. Susan was able to drag me down to the Nashville Health Department and get that sucker. I remember that. Well, many others chose to forego the fashion faux pas of that time of mask and discomfort. There were only medical masks back then. It was a season of panic and precaution, but thankfully the epidemic quickly vanished, and so has our memory of it, even though it was only in 2009. And just like with the swine flu, even now in the new virus strain, Emerges, makes the news, spurs the fears of an epidemic spreading. What we faced recently with the COVID-19 global pandemic, something that's going to have an impact on us for generations. And the most modest precautions taken during the swine flu were modified and multiplied exponentially at the COVID-19 outbreak. However, as this one fades, and it will, 
just like any other pandemic. There's another global health crisis that is upon us now. It comes with no warnings or guidance from the Center for Disease Control. We can't take a pill or a shot to immunize ourselves from it. And no amount of isolating ourselves from it and from those who already have it will prevent us from catching it. In fact, isolation may be the worst thing we could do for this contagion. Do you know what this new global health crisis is? Loneliness. Loneliness. There is an outbreak of loneliness. It may not feel as drastic as sheltering in place or safe distancing, but its effects were certainly noticed and multiplied by the deadly events that shaped our world in 2020. Loneliness in our time has reached epidemic proportions. And the impact is real and severe. You can see in this particular chart, before COVID, 20.7 talked about struggling with feelings of loneliness. Now, and it could be even higher, this is only one source, 58.1%, almost 6 out of 10. According to the best medical research, loneliness has real and serious consequences. Humans are naturally social. Social relationships or the relative lack thereof constitute a major risk factor for health, rivaling the effects of well-established health risk factors such as cigarette smoking, blood pressure, cholesterol, obesity, and physical activity. Furthermore, the impact of loneliness itself leads to other problems. Lonely adults consume more alcohol, get less exercise than those who are not lonely. Their diet is higher in fat, their sleep is less deficient, and they report more daytime fatigue. Loneliness also disrupts the regulation of cellular processes deep within the body, predisposing us to premature aging. This pandemic has hit hard and fast with almost 6 out of 10 Americans reporting struggling with loneliness and the associated problems that come with it. The church is going to have a lot of work to do in the future to connect people and to be able to help them. That's our major work ahead of us. I'm seeing it with all my friends and talking to them and talking to their congregations. You see, the reality behind this loneliness for us is that we're made for something more. Even in the midst of our loneliness with each other, we were created to have a relationship, a quality relationship with God. And when that's missing, the number of our friendships or even deep friendships never fill that hole. Even though the mass might go away and the distance goes away, the friendships won't necessarily sustain us out of our loneliness. Even deep friendships can ever fill that hole. You ever been at the beach when you're, you're trying to dig something out like the moat around your nicely built sandcastle or just want to build a hole and you want to keep some water in it and you just keep putting water in it and it keeps doing what? It just goes away. Sand's porous. It's not going to hold water. 
You see, without a relationship with God, all our other relationships are like pouring water over sand. We can pour and pour and pour into those, but they never seem to fill us up. They never seem to create anything that's truly meaningful, that's really, truly lasting. And sometimes even our relationships, our best human ones, often betray us. There likely isn't a person here or those who are watching in some way who hasn't had and can't say that someone they've never been deeply hurt or wounded or abandoned or betrayed by someone they knew, they loved, they trusted. It's not to say we can't have meaningful relationships with other people, but to be truly to be satisfied deep in our souls, all of our relationships must come to that first relationship. The first relationship with God, you see. Without having that relationship, everything else tends to unravel and fall apart because that is what we were made for. It's what we were created for. It's what we were designed for, to have this relationship. All other relationships have their best chance of flourishing only when our relationship with God is primary. Primary. See, the Old Testament Scriptures describe how God spent quality time with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening walking in the garden. Just talking. Hanging out together. Later, Abraham was called the friend of God. One of your fill-in-the-blanks. He was called a friend of God. God often spoke personally with Abraham. The Psalms often speak of God's love for those God created and God's desire to draw near and spend quality time with them. For example, in Psalm 145, 17 and 18, it says, The Lord is righteous in all His ways and faithful in all that He does. The Lord is near to all who call on Him to all who call on Him in truth. And throughout the prophet Isaiah, God spoke of His love for Israel and promised His presence would be with them in times of trouble. Very familiar Isaiah 43 passage. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. The New Testament describes a similar relationship with God as James promises, come near to God and God will come near to you. James 4.8 You see, the idea that the eternal God desires to spend this quality time with us was the created is one aspect that's unique to the faith of Christianity. You see, the gods of the ancient Greek and the Roman myths had to be placated. They had to be feared. On the other hand, Jesus indicates the desire of the entire Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, was to abide. Abide and make a home. In us. And with anyone who responds to God's love, 
John 14, 20-26, Jesus promises never to leave His followers, but told them He would be with them forever. And I will ask, and He will send another companion who will be with you forever. You know Him because He lives with you and be with you. I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I mean, clearly, Jesus desires quality time with all those who respond to His love. The design of Jesus' earthly ministry was an illustration of quality time. He preached to the multitudes, but He spent quality time with 12 individuals. Mark 3.14, He appointed 12 that they might be with Him. Did Jesus need 12 people to do his work? Not really. That's an important part. Later, he would appoint these men as apostles. Apostles are those who have seen Jesus versus disciples to carry on his ministry. So in preparation, Jesus spent quality time with them to convince them of God's love for all of humankind. And here's the key which is very interesting, which we often lose sometimes in the church. Jesus did not attempt to make His ministry as broad as possible, but rather as deep as possible. He didn't make His ministry broad as possible. He made it as deep as possible. We sometimes like to focus on the, the, the width instead of the depth of those who are involved in becoming disciples. See? He wanted His chosen apostles to experience His love at the deepest level possible. For three and a half years, they shared meals. They traveled. They experiences. They extended conversations. They all had together. He taught the multitude in parables, provide, but provided the twelve with a much fuller explanation behind the scenes of their, his messages when they were gathered together. See? Now, of course, Jesus also spent quality time with other individuals. Matthew 9.10, Jesus had dinner at Matthew's house. Luke 19 Five through six, Jesus stayed at Zacchaeus' house. And then on one occasion, he and his disciples visited a woman by the name of Martha and her sister Mary. And Martha busied herself in the kitchen preparing a meal for Jesus and his disciples while Mary sat absorbed by his teaching. And Martha was disturbed that her sister was not helping with the meal. And she eventually became so agitated that she actually entered the room, interrupted Jesus. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine walking in the room and interrupting Jesus when he's teaching? And asked him if he would please instruct her sister to go and help her. But Jesus did not respond to Martha as she had hoped. He acknowledged her acts of service. It made it clear that he was also pleased with Mary's undivided attention. 
Jesus knew the hearts of both of these sisters. Martha was concerned about doing the proper thing, but she was not motivated by love. In fact, her sense of duty had distracted her from developing a love relationship with Jesus. And Chapman says, My guess is that Martha's love language was acts of service and that Mary's love language was words of quality time. Both of which can be valid expressions of one's love to God. And on this occasion, however, Martha's attention seemed based on ritual rather than relationship. She not put performance above the person of Christ. She was doing what naturally came for her, acts of service, but her heart was not in it. In much the same way, those of the primary love language of words of affirmation can often speak empty religious words with no conscious love towards God. And no matter what language you might have, all authentic love for God flows from a heart that genuinely seeks to honor Him. It doesn't matter what your love language is. All authentic love is done out of a want to honor God. No matter how God's love language speaks to us or we speak back. Every now and then we hear someone in history who spent hours and hours on their knees in prayer. That prayer, their primary love language to God was quality time. See, like our founder John Wesley, for example, or George Mueller was also one of these persons. Born in Germany in 1805, Mueller dedicated himself at age 20 entirely to the service of God. He's best known for running orphanages in England from the beginning of his ministry. Mueller refused any salary for himself and would not solicit contributions for the ministries that he started. He believed that faith in God and reliance on prayer would provide all of his needs. By 1875, his orphanages had lodged, fed, and educated more than 2,000 English children. They even exist today. But even before he began his ministry to orphans, Muller spent many hours in quiet fellowship with the Lord. For Muller, his ministry was simply the outgrowth of his quality time with God. Communion with God was far more important in his mind than caring for the poor. This I most firmly believe, he once wrote, that no one ought to expect to see much good resulting from his labors in word and doctrine if he is not much given to prayer and meditation. Miller experienced the love of God most deeply during his quality time. It was from that well that Muller drew not only his vision, but his energy. And in those times of contemplation, he focused on listening to the voice of God through Scripture. And Muller was energized to carry on the ministry to which he'd been called. You see, when someone's primary love language is quality time, Unripted time with God. It's not difficult. It's joyous. They want more of that uninterrupted time. 
It's not a burden-causing thing. It's a burden-lifting. They don't have to fit it into their day. They don't have to do it. They don't feel like, I've got to shove it in somewhere in my busy life. They, they want to do it. As Muller said, the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy with in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about is not how much I might serve the Lord, how I might glorify the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how my inner man might be nourished. For Muller and thousands like him, quality time is their native tongue. It's the most natural way of experiencing the love of God and reciprocating. Those who seek time with God will discover that God is ready and waiting to meet with them. Quality time is a love language. That God's always prepared to speak this love language. Of course, if we're willing to put Him first. That's what Jesus was talking about when He said in Luke 14, 26, Whoever comes to Me and doesn't hate father and mother, spouse and children, and brothers and sisters, yes, even one's own life, cannot be My disciple. Yes, Jesus actually said that. No, that's probably not posted on your mirror at home as your go-to encouragement verse for the day. You probably don't look at it very much. But you can't avoid the hard verses because they're hard. We have to begin to live into those the same way. He said this while he was surrounded by lots of new people. He had just left a very exciting party and there were suddenly all sorts of people tagging along for all sorts of reasons because he was a spectacle, because he was a superstar. Do you think that Jesus really meant that they should actually hate their loving parents or their siblings? No. It's not what he's talking about. Jesus often used intentionally in-your-face style of communication to get people's attention, to get them to think differently, particularly when it comes to relationship with God, to go even to the land of hyperbole. Because sometimes we need a wake-up call about the importance of putting God first. Amen? We need something tough to get through our thick skins, our busy lives. And what Jesus meant here is that if our relationship with God isn't primary, with Him isn't primary, doesn't make all other relationships pale in comparison, we can't really know or follow Him. You see, Jesus used the word disciple. But in, in our day, that has a religious meaning to it. But in his day, it was used to describe anyone who was a radical follower of someone else of any profession. You could be a disciple of a jeweler, disciple of a carpenter. It meant radical focus on that person, on that profession. And then I think that Jesus was trying to speak that love language of quality time from God the most in His last days. His last appearances on earth after His resurrection, which we are in right now. That Jesus had begun by appearing to the two in Emmaus, which we talked about at the very beginning of this, and stayed to eat dinner with them even after spending most of the day with them. 
He appeared to the disciples without Thomas. Then He appeared again when Thomas was there. And each time it doesn't sound like in the readings that these encounters He just popped in for a moment to say hi and then He left. He lingered. He stayed for conversation. He continued to be in relationship with them. And in that second encounter in Luke is right after the two from Emmaus are telling the eleven about His appearance to them. And when He shows up, He lets them touch Him. Physical touch. He lets them feed Him. Acts of service. When He asks, do you have anything to eat? And they gave Him a piece of baked fish Taking it, he ate it in front of them, proving to them that he was real because they were, not, they were not into it at that point. Then he says, he opened their minds up to the Scriptures and told them to stay in the city until they received heavenly power, gifts. And then, after all of that and more talking, spending time and finally getting past all their roadblocks, he led them out to as far as Bethany, where he lifted his hands and blessed them, words of affirmation. And as he blessed them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem overwhelmed with joy. You see, Jesus knew when our relationship with God comes first that all the earthly relationships suddenly make sense. They take their proper place in our lives. And He had to make sure the disciples who would now become apostles understood their proper place in everything too before He left. And just like He had always done over the last three plus years with them, To Jesus, love is spelled like another four-letter word. Do you know what that four-letter word is? Time. Thanks, Katie. Was that Dana? Can't tell. Masks. Hi. Nice plant. T-I-M-E. Say time. Say time again. T-I-M-E. Love is time. And to those with the love language of quality time, that is how love is spelled for them as well. Anybody here have the love language of quality time that you lift up? Betty, you say the, the... as a nod, yeah. Quality time is your highest love language. You find where this enters in. Quality time requires giving that special someone your undivided attention. Reassuring them by the way you spend time with them and the amount of time that you spend with them. This is one of my daughter's two love languages. When we were younger, and I mentioned, I think, before was that we had a dickens of a time trying to get homework done. It was a, it was a horrible time. 
What we learned was when she did the children's love languages was is that quality time and physical touch. So what she was longing for was the time with me to sit down and just be together before she wanted to focus in on doing the schoolwork. So we built in 30 minutes of quality time, Hannah and Daddy time, before we went to homework. And then she would work as long as she needed to to get done whatever she needed to get done. If we don't learn our love languages for each other and how God has created these and created us and also relationship, life is a lot harder, as I discovered. You see, the the quality time sparks a sense of togetherness. And togetherness is the immunization from the disease of loneliness we talked about earlier. Togetherness. I remember the first few months people came to me who hadn't been hugged in in weeks and their love language is physical touch and, and, and they're angry and they're upset and they were talking to me and we discovered that together and then it's like, you know what, I'll take the chance. I will give you a hug. And they would release and they'd cry. And then they would go back. So many folks isolated in so many ways with different love languages needing things like physical touch and words of affirmation and trying to figure all that out. Because togetherness is transformative. That was even the discussion here about when to have services and when to come back and not to come back. And it's not safe. People are dying on the vine and, and they're, they're isolated and they're, they just got to be together and all this other stuff. That's all about love languages. all about how we're wired and how we're built differently. Some of us could sit in our cubicle for the rest of our lives and never touch anybody because we're wired that way. It's not our love language. Physical touch, though it's not zero, scored zero for me. My wife has to drag me out of the house, even pre-COVID, because I could just sit there and be in my house just for as long as I need to be for you know doing whatever I want to do. This togetherness it reverses the isolation of our souls. It even reverses the impact of the disease in our cells because it, it comes with communion with God and companionship with others. And both are important. You see, we need both, the horizontal and the vertical. And as we give God our undivided attention, as we deepen our relationships with God, as we experience this sense of true togetherness, it changes us and who we are. I saw it in our first administrative meeting that we had completely on site on Tuesday night. As we came together, and the first 30 minutes of it was not even about business. It was about re-engaging. It was about talking. It was about seeing folks we hadn't seen in 15 months. And, you know, I may have seen some, some of these people, but each, they hadn't seen each other in 15 months. And, you know, we negotiated if we needed to wear masks and who we were and how we were doing things and everything else. And three wore masks through the rest of it. didn't feel like everybody else needed to wear a mask. And the others were vaccinated. And they're all vaccinated at the table, actually. And so, but we just spent that time in togetherness. And I just, you could feel the energy in the room. The difference of what it meant to be together in that way. 
And for the first time and seeing those faces, the faces like a Christmas tree lighting up. People realized how much they had missed each other. Because you don't really miss it until I've had people come in the building and said to me, I didn't realize how much I've missed being a part in the presence of just being in the place. Because after 15 months, you forget lots of things. And eventually, you know, we begin to live out Hebrews 10.25 again. Let us not neglect our meeting together, but encourage one another. There's been a lot of encouragement that's happened over the last 15 months through cards and calls and, and contacts and all of that. And so thankful for all of that. But none of that replaces simply being face-to-face with each other. It held us over. But eventually we all need that. And so for people of quality time, their heart hope is, I am known. Say, I am known. I am known. That's their heart hope, that I am known. People who experience love through quality time want to know and be known intimately. Unlike words of affirmation people who want to be seen and known widely, quality time people want to be known deeply. They want to be known deeply. They're crying out for deep, intimate connection. This is what quality time is all about. Being known is at the core of what it means to be created in the image of God, the Imagio Dei. And this heart hope burns within us and will never be fully met until we're with God in eternity. But until then, our heart hope can be met through deep, meaningful relationships with others and most importantly, with Jesus. Because Jesus is radically committed to quality time to experiencing true togetherness with us. And the great news is is that you can easily take the first steps to experiencing togetherness with Jesus. That God is waiting and hoping for you to take the first steps towards that togetherness. And that every step that you make toward that togetherness, that God is waiting to come in closer and closer and closer and closer to walk with you and to be with you and to be present with you during everything that you're going through so that it's almost like you're walking hand in hand and He's with you. The closest friend you can ever have. God longs for that kind of intimacy with us. To spend a quality and a quantity time with us that makes us who we were made to be. And until we discover that, until we live into it, no matter what else we might do to try to figure out how to live our lives or how to make it all work, it won't. Until we bring it, that quality time with Jesus into our lives. So I encourage you, as we've talked about and seen and known and loved, that all of these are important. They're all a huge part of who we are. All of us have them in varying and different degrees. And of course, this does not encapsulate all that God's love looks like or anything else. But it's a start. And it helps us to understand how God speaks to us and how we can speak to God. So I hope that you will work on and I will work on experiencing that true togetherness. My friend James, who's actually back with us today, which has been like, you know, forever in worship, posted on Facebook that he had just read through the entire Bible 
And all the way through from Genesis to Revelation, it took you how long? Yeah, right? And you didn't give up. Let me tell you, if I started three years ago, right now I'm in Judges again, and I'm like, I'm about ready to give up again because Judges is about the most boring thing in the world. I haven't gotten to Kings yet. But, I mean, look at it. You gained in togetherness with God, didn't you? It's more than reading the Scripture because we can read the Scripture. It's about being together with God, and that's one of the ways we can do that and in prayer. And doing things like just reading the Psalms, which I think somebody's going to read for us. Hi. Everybody said they really enjoyed looking at these Psalms together, so we're going to keep doing it. And today's Psalm is Psalm 47. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout joyfully to God with a joyous shout. Because the Lord Most High is awesome. He is the great King of the whole world. He subdues the nations under us, subdues all people beneath our feet. He chooses our inheritance for us, the heights of Jacob, which he loves. Selah. God has gone up with a joyous shout. The Lord, with the blast of the ram's horn, sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises, because God is King of the whole world. Sing praises with a song of instruction. God is King over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The leaders of all people are gathered with the people of Abraham's God, because the earth's guardians belong to God. God is exalted beyond all. Amen. So how do we live this love language out from God? Consider doing something practical and real with God. When we think of quality time with others, we often think of connecting through an activity or a heart-to-heart conversation or a common experience. Perhaps you can get into a physical space where you can do something to connect with God in a tangible way. Sitting in a time of silence or prayer or reading the Word. The biggest thing to remember is to spend quality and uninterrupted time with God. Not simply quantity. God would much rather have five or ten minutes of your undivided, focused attention than have 30 minutes of you trying to go off to sleep while you try to figure out how to incorporate your prayer life into your pillow. Not a good time. Unless that works for you. Then it's a good time. But most of us, in those moments, long gone, already, already asleep, counting sheep by the time we try to put it in there. Give your first fruits to God, not your last fruits. And God will multiply those and use those. And whatever time that you give to God.
people of God, let's not just stand here gazing into heaven as the disciples did after they saw Jesus leave. Instead, let's take up the mission that Jesus left us to be His witnesses, to tell everyone we meet who Jesus is, to get back to that table, to bring others to the table now, to spend time reaching out to those who are lost and lonely around us, to bring them into a family, to bring them into a community where they can find love and acceptance and forgiveness and tell everybody how God has changed us and how God can change them. May the grace of God, the love of Jesus Christ, the presence of the Holy Spirit go with us all everywhere that we go into the world serving and proclaiming His name. And everybody both here, everybody at home said, Amen.